So we're in this series on real love, and uh, last week Pastor Ron was talking about real love toward people of uh, different religions. Today we're talking about real love towards people of different races. And uh, so those are three pastors that are all in a group with me we meet every month, have for, I don't know, 10 years, um, maybe longer. And uh, I know that their churches all look more like heaven than we do because they they have all all races in them and so we just brought them together along with some people from our church and and just wanted to ask some questions about how we go about racial reconciliation so um pastor ron last week ended his message affirming three truths number one god loves you number two god loves them and number three i show them god's love by my love we show them god's love by our love and, uh, you know, the, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the big idea that we're trying to get at today is we're talking about real love towards people who look differently than you do. People of other nationalities, people of different skin colors all around the world. God loves them as much as he loves us. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Well, we who want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, we need to align our will with God's will. We need to align our attitudes with God's attitude. We need to align our loves with God's love. God has real love for people of all races, nationalities, colors, and backgrounds. He always has. I grew up, as most of you know, as a missionary kid in Nigeria, and for a while we lived in a place called Gusau, a, a city of about 60,000 people. Our family quadrupled the white population that was in Gusau. And uh, no, seriously, we really did. You know, there were eight of us, and there were two white nuns and uh, one other single missionary male. And um, if you saw a white person uh, during the day, other than that, it was worth talking about a dinner of, hey, you know, I saw some uh, white person today. And uh, so... I remember going with um, uh, this missionary on his motorcycle back into the bush to one of the villages that he had visited numerous times to share the gospel. And when we got there, the, the person that stands out to me was a man who was sitting on the ground and begging. He had a little bowl in front of him asking people to put coins in. He had no feet. He had a pretty bad case of leprosy, so he had no hands. He had no ears. He had no nose. His skin was deteriorating, and... The thing that stuck out is he's sitting there, he was using both stubs to keep smoking. And the thought instantly went through my head. It wasn't from me, but the thought, I love him just as much as I love you. That's what Jesus said. I, I love him just as much as I love you. And, and it's a true statement. I mean, God's plan from the beginning was he loves every person that he's made. He made everyone, each person unique. And he put us in different races with different skin colors. But he has a love for everybody. He loves all the races. And in Genesis 12, he began to uh, uh, show his plan. And it, it says he came to a guy named Abram and he said, go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went. 
and the Lord, as the Lord had told him. See, Abraham obeyed, and God did what he promised. He made Abraham's name great, and his family great, and he blessed them, and Abraham's family grew, and they prospered. And then they came into a time of worldwide famine, and to survive, they went down to Egypt, and uh, they were welcomed there, but they overstayed their welcome, and they became enslaved, and God rescued them and brought them to the promised land, and somewhere in there, they understood, we've got the hand of God on our lives, we are blessed by God, but they forgot the part that says you were blessed to be a blessing, and that through you, God will bless the whole world. They thought that all the blessings were for themselves. They thought, like, just like we often do, that our kind of people is best, and we're special, and we're unique, and every other nationality than mine is inferior. And God did a special work for and through the Jewish people. But God's goal is larger than one people group. God has a desire to love and to be loved by all the people groups in the world. And God kept his promise to Abraham and to Sarah. Years later, one of their descendants was named Jesus. And he blessed all the families of the earth. But God's plan was exactly that. Everybody, there's a verse that's over and over in the Bible. One place it's found is 1 Chronicles 16, 24. It says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 22 says the same. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. God is not willing that any should perish. He wants all to come to repentance. He's looking forward to the day when the people of all tribes and nations and, and backgrounds and colors are together to celebrate and to praise Him. And here God is working to undo the dastardly consequences of sin that isolate and separate and divide. And God is wanting to bring all families and all peoples and all nations together to worship God. He made every person unique. He made every people group and every nationality, and he loves them all. And if we love God, we love who he loves. But it just seems that each of us, even followers of Christ, maintain this quiet belief that my kind of people is just better than your kind of people. It's a hard weed to root out of our heart. It comes from the seeds of pride. It doesn't come from God. If we're to be fully devoted followers, we have to let go of the misconception and embrace God's approach. God loves you. God loves them just as much. Now, Jonah was one of the prophets. He actually wrote a book by that name that's in the Bible. He's from the 8th century B.C. He's mentioned in 2 Kings 14.25 because he spoke for God. He knew God. Presumably, he loved God. And he had proved that he was a prophet because God gave him the insight. He predicted things that were going to happen in the future that happened, just as he had said they would. But the story of Jonah, which is autobiographical, it's just a little book. You could read it just in one sitting. This guy had told this story on himself. And it's a story of a guy who's called by God and given a job to do that he considered unpleasant, something he really didn't want to do. You ever found yourself in the situation there's a job that's necessary, but it's unpleasant? What'd you do? Well, Jonah ran away, which never solves your problem. So you pick up the story of Jonah in Jonah 1, verse 1. It says, Now word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now all of a sudden Jonah has a problem that he didn't have before that. 
He knew the Lord. He loved the Lord. He spoke for the Lord. He served the Lord. But Nineveh? I mean, that's a city full of low-down, no-good, you-know-what. They're his enemies. It'd be like getting a word of, of, from the Lord to go to the people that you have hated the most or have hurt you the most. You could die there, you know, unappreciated, unknown. And God is calling Jonah to go to Nineveh, a city that's uh, over 120,000 people, and it's one of the world's great cities, and it's full of these non-Jewish Assyri Assyrians, Jewish haters. And here's the rub. Jonah loves God, and he works for God, and he even spoke for God, but he hates Nineveh. He felt justified in hating them. They were his enemy. They had been wicked and cruel and mean. He knew people who had died because of them. And they're the people that Jonah loved to hate. Go to Nineveh? Come on, God, nothing doing. So, verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Pastor Timothy Keller has written a whole book on this. It's called The Prodigal Prophet on <laughs> Jonah. It's great. One of the little things he says is, Jonah concluded that because he could not see any good reasons for God's command, there couldn't be any. Jonah doubted the goodness and wisdom and justice of God. We've all had that experience. The Bible itself seems to many modern people to be filled with claims that don't make sense. When that happens, we need to decide. Does God know what's best, or do we? So God told Jonah, head north and east, about 500 miles, and he gets on a boat headed as fast as he can south and west to flee from the presence of the Lord. There is nowhere you could go to escape God's presence. It wasn't like he was leaving God behind. You can find yourself outside of God's guidance and outside of God's protection and outside of God's blessing. See, the best place to be really is right in the center of God's will. That's where you have God's guidance and God's protection and God's blessing. And this is still true. Jonah was a man on the run. Are you on the run from God? See, look what got Jonah, what running cost Jonah. I mean, it got him into a storm. He was scared for his life. He's hiding in fear. He's indifferent to the urgent pleas of the people around him. God got irritated enough to cause an extreme weather system to disrupt Jonah's ill-advised race away from God. I mean, you probably have know the story. God brought on the mother of all storms, the perfect storm just to toss this one little ship around. And the boat captain and the crew are working feverishly to save the ship. They are sure it's going down. They think life is going to be over. And so they're tossing everything overboard they can feverishly to, to lighten the load in the ship. And they are praying to their own gods. Everybody pray to your own God, pray to your own God. And what does Jonah do? He indifferently goes down below deck, finds his way to his bunk, curls up in a ball and goes to sleep. And the captain said, everybody pray. Is everybody praying? You realize, where's Jonah? He goes and finds him down, and he screams at him, pray. Now, you've got to understand that this is a pagan captain screaming at the prophet of God, it's time to pray. There's something wrong with this picture. Jonah finally you know, comes up, and in the middle of the storm, he confesses his sin to the crew, and he says, you should throw me overboard. And they don't want to. They keep trying not to, but finally they do. And when they toss him over, shh. There's peace on the sea. Well, Jonah, of course, now is 
you know, he's drowning. And the third time he goes down, God rescues him and has him swallowed by a big whale or a fish. And, you know, there's only three verses in this whole little book that even mention the fish or the whale. So I don't really think that's the point. You say, well, those kind of, I mean, there are whales or fish that are large enough to swallow a person whole. And they don't usually hang out in the Mediterranean. But they also don't usually just catch people who get caught in the water either. So, you know, this was a God thing. God was in this. And suffice it to say, God put Jonah on a timeout. Time to think. Time to get his attitude right. Time to say, you know, it's, what about a loyalty? What about obedience? What about just following me? How about getting your attitude right about how you think about people that I love? So based on this, here's what we know about our God. God is at work in the, the world that he created and he loves. He's even in the little details God is concerned about the condition of the people he created, even the ones we don't personally like. He loves them. God's word is given so that all people might hear God's warning and repent, and God's servants are sent. Go and tell the good news to everyone, to all the nations. And God is both just and he's merciful. And that's an attention. And God's concern is to seek and to save the lost. God loves them. Disobedience breeds disaster. You're headed for trouble when you hate, when you discount others, when you disregard, when you hold grudges against people whom God loves. As for Jonah, he definitely didn't want to go to Nineveh. It wasn't that he was afraid to. Instead, he, he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't want Nineveh to hear the good news and repent and be forgiven. He wanted them to be nuked by God. He knew that God is a gracious God and he's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love and in mercy. And so he knows God is looking for a way to spare those Assyrians. And Jonah hates them and he wants them to go up in flames. God calls us to forgive people who have wronged us. And we run the other way and hang on to our grudge. God calls us to stand for, in the minority for a righteous cause and we run away from God's call because it's easier to go along with the crowd. God calls us to get involved in a situation and make a real sacrifice for the good of somebody else and we run the other way because we're too busy. We've got our own lives. God calls us to invest in the life of a neighbor or a family member or a friend and we're too busy. We're afraid to take the risk. God calls us to love all people the way he loves them. Here's a thought. What if when God called and Jonah ran, what if God just did nothing? Just said, okay, Jonah, just run. Well, Jonah would have been out of fellowship with God. And the people of Nedavah would have never been warned. So they would not have repented. So God would not have been forgiving them. So God would not have been able to show his great compassion to them. And later, Jonah and God certainly would have had a little time of reckoning when Jonah got to heaven, don't you think? I don't think it would have been all that comfortable. See, the question is, is God talking to you? Is God calling you? I mean, where is Nineveh for you? You know that situation, the people that God has called you to love that you'd rather stay away from. You'd rather not get involved. Where there are people that God has called you to love like Jesus. Where do we think we can hide from the Lord God Almighty? He's watching. He's everywhere. 
So Jonah's determination, though, not to get involved still has a lot of appeal because there are so many problems, hunger and disease and immigration and illiteracy and poverty. God calls us to care, and caring takes time, and caring takes preparation and hard work, and caring takes giving, and caring demands involvement in a world without guarantees, a world full of problems. Caring is showing genuine love, real love, which, by the way, is what we're talking about today. And obedience brings blessing from God. So what are you going to do? Well, Jonah gets tossed overboard. He's sinking down in the angry waves. He's being strangled by seaweed. Sure, his life is almost over, and it suddenly got personal, and it got desperate, and he decides it's time to pray. And he wrote down the prayer that he had in the belly of the fish. It says in chapter 2, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. I'm assuming it was back when he got on land. Okay. Then the, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me out of the belly of a hell. I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And he goes on and prays some other things, and then he concludes his prayer with saying, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Down there in the big fish, he must have said, God, if you ever get me out of this one, so help me, I'll go do what you told me to do. And after three days, God has the, the whale or the fish spit him out onto land. And then God restates his command. In Jonah 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. See, Jonah realized, I hate those people in Nineveh, but God wants me to go there, and I'd rather go to Nineveh than die 20,000 leagues under the sea. So you'd think by now that Jonah would get the picture and be on board with God's vision for lost people. So Jonah obeyed. He went to the city. But he was still packing his suitcases of hatred and prejudice and racism and proud of it. And he preached warnings. He walked through the city, which took three days just to walk all the way across it. He said, 40 days and you're toast. Unless you repent, you sinners, God's going to get you. And it took him three days to, to preach all the way across the city. And I bet he didn't even try to be winsome. He just said, God, I don't even want to be here. I'm doing a job that you're forcing me to do. And I'm going to just tell it like it is. And so he cold cocked him with the truth. And then he went and he sat up on the ridge above town and he watched this. Okay, God, I did it. I preached. I told him, you're going to get him. Get him. Jonah knows that God hates sin, and that sin brings punishment. It brings judgment, and it became clear that Jonah wants God to punish them. He wants them to get the punishment they deserve. He is obeying God with his heart, but his heart is harder than a rock. And he holds the anger and the hatred and the, the prejudice against these enemies in his heart. And Jonah's as shocked as anybody when suddenly the people of Nineveh believed God, it says. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth. They stopped working. They stopped eating. They didn't even let the animals eat. They said, stop everything. Get on your knees before God and ask him to forgive you. From the greatest to the least of them, from the king on down. They sat in sackcloth and ashes. They did everything they could to show God they were really sorry. They asked for his forgiveness. And it says in verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. 
Now, if Jonah had adopted the heart of God, at that moment, he would rejoice. These are going to be his brothers and sisters. They're going to share heaven with him. But it didn't happen that way in his heart. He wanted to see the fireworks. He wanted to see the whole city get the punishment they deserved. And instead, he watched God forgive them completely. And Jonah got very angry with God. As if God was supposed to have changed his heart to accommodate Jonah's hatreds and prejudice. So in Jonah 4.1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. I was right after all, God. I knew if I preached to them, you would convict them and forgive them. I knew you're a gracious God and you're merciful. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love. You're relenting from disaster. And thank you for saving me, dear God, but not them. Now, therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And God replied, gave him a longer reason and actually uh, his own little personal lesson that you can go read. But God says, in the last verse, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there's more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? They do not have a clue, is what God's saying. And Jonah, you know me, you love me, you work for me, and I'm sending you, and you've got all these bad attitudes. Lose them. God wanted Jonah to see that Jonah's way and God's ways were not aligned with each other. So God expected Jonah to abandon his worldly, natural, human, sinful way of thinking and adopt God's perspective. See, Jonah in this story is you. It's me. Jonah tries to obey God and proclaim God's word and love God and represent God at the same time hanging on to his hurts and his bias and his prejudice and his hatred and his anger. And it didn't work and it won't work now. Let it go for the sake of Christ because God loves them. That's why he sent Jesus into this world. And Jesus, you know, at one point was teaching, and it says in Matthew 12, some of the scribes and Pharisees came up and they said, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Your preaching really isn't good enough. Show us a miracle. Man, then we can believe it. And Jesus said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What was greater than Jonah? Jesus standing there in the flesh, teaching them God's truth, and the hardness of their hearts were preventing them from doing what the people of Nineveh did, getting on their knees and saying, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. That's something greater is Jesus, and he came to teach God's way and invite people to follow him. He died on the cross to pay the price for sin so that we could be set free to think like God to love like God, to care like Christ. And if we're going to be fully devoted followers, we've got to let go of our own agenda and our own hurts and our own hatreds and love like God loves. In Christ, Paul told us in 2 Corinthians, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. See, Jesus shared God's desire that the good news is for the whole world. You look at the book of Acts, 
chapter after chapter, there are things that are happening across people from different races where God is just reaching out. You look in our world today and over and over and over and over there are stories like the one we've told from Nigeria of God just suddenly breaking in because he wants people to know him. He wants people from all generations to love him and to care for him. We have one of our youth pastors, Jeff Scholler, who's brilliant and is in, has, uh, in a seminary class, uh, did an exegetical paper on Ephesians chapter 2, which talks about this, that basically you were forgiven by God, and then God had the Jews and the Gentiles, and he broke down the dividing wall between them. And in part of his paper, I'm going to quote Jeff, he said, in the church, people from different ethnicities are to love one another deeply and therefore display the way of love, namely the way of the cross, to this world. If we desire to conquer racism in this world, the way forward is the way of the cross. What does that mean for us? God loves them. God loves you. And God's plan is we show them God's love by our love. Listen to some of our church members who talked exactly about this. Let's stand and pray together, shall we? <laughs> Dear God, I pray that you will take us from here, that you will root out of our heart those uh, little bitternesses and hatreds and prejudices that we hold, that we will fully and clearly communicate the love of Christ to this world that so desperately needs you. Thank you. We praise you. Amen.